Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I join in with Keith and welcoming everyone. We do have a lot of visitors with us this morning. We want to welcome you, let you know we're excited to have you with us this morning. We've got a good crowd of folks with us this morning. What an exciting opportunity that we've had already to be here together and to worship God. It has been really encouraging to be with you this morning, and I appreciate so much the way that the men have led us in our worship and the way that you have participated in worship. It definitely has been an uplifting time for me this morning, and now the incredible opportunity that we have to open up God's Word and to study from it. Well, I've been gone for a week at camp last week, and uh, luckily I worked on this lesson ahead of time because I came back tired and exhausted. And, you know, a lot of times you hear people reference, you know, the kind of exhaustion you feel after a week like we've had, and they'll say, I know you're tired, but it is a good tired. And I don't know what that means. I don't know, I mean, I don't know what good tired is or bad tired or, or uh, medium tired. I don't know what any of that is. All I know, it, maybe it is a good tired, but even good tireds are still tired, Right? And I do feel pretty good mentally this morning, and that's a good thing. My voice feels pretty strong, and that's a good thing. My body hurts, and that's my fault in every way. But it is really good to be back here. We've had a good week away. It's good to be back here, and it's good to be able to open up God's Word and to study from. And I've made mention of the fact that ahead of time I was able to work on this lesson, and that was good. Uh, to get a lot of that work done, but I knew exactly in a lot of ways where I would be and how I would feel and what my mind would be thinking about, and so I just rolled with that. And so this morning, we're going to spend some time talking about rest, because I knew in a lot of ways that's what I would be thinking about today, rest. Have I gotten any since we got back? Yeah, I've gotten a lot. Has it made a big difference? It's made some difference. Some difference. I need some more. So I thought this morning, let's talk about biblically what we can learn about rest. You know, it's really an interesting thing when you begin to think about rest, especially even physical rest. In a lot of ways, it is something that God knows we need. He, he knows that we need physical rest. And he talks about it. He talks about it really a lot. You can see it in both the pages of the New Testament and the Old Testament. I'll give you a couple examples. In Mark chapter 6, when God or when Jesus sends out his apostles, and what we uh, we a lot of times will reference as the limited commission. They go out, they preach the gospel, and they come back. And when they come back to Jesus, listen to what he says. In Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, it says, The apostles gathered to Jesus, and, and they told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught and this is what he said come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while for there were many coming and going and they didn't even have time to eat and so on this really busy time away in which they were teaching and visiting and being with people they come back they tell Jesus everything that had happened and what does Jesus say Let's get some rest. And I find that interesting because Jesus knew that they needed that. He knew that they needed that time to physically rest. Even in the pages of the Old Testament, we see that. You can go back even to the very beginning. In the midst of creation, when God creates the world in the six days of creation, 
And day after day after day, day one through day six, God creates everything that we have around us. And then on that seventh day, in Genesis chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done. And he rested the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now, this example of God resting after creation isn't in any way like us after a busy week, maybe like I've had, and just the physical need for rest. God and all the work that he did in creation, he didn't physically need rest. He is eternal. He is spiritual. He doesn't tire. But he was setting himself up for teaching. He was setting himself up for an example and even makes mention of it here. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 5, when the commandments are given to the people of Israel and that covenant that there is given by Moses, you have now a command, a weekly command given by God that on the seventh day his people would rest. Even in the feast days that would be given. The book of Leviticus, the the Israelites would have lots and lots of feast days and times that they would have to be paying attention to. And a lot of those included specific days of rest. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, specifically two days of rest they were supposed to have. The Feast of the Harvest or Pentecost, one day of rest. The Feast of the Trumpets, one day of rest. The Day of Atonement, one day of rest. The Feast of Tabernacles, two days of rest. Over and over and over, God commanding rest, physical rest for his people. Because God knows we need that. So, so why does he want us to have physical rest? Why does he think that it's important that physically we have that downtime, that physically we have those moments to refresh, to recharge? Well, he wants us to be physically rested because he knows how the body operates. Because he made it, because he created it. And he knows that it takes physical rest for the mind to be able to focus and function. That's what God wants. He wants our mind sharp. He wants our mind clear and sober. He wants our mind focused. Have you ever been so tired that you just struggled to even focus on the easiest of tasks? Have you ever been so exhausted that maybe someone would ask you the simplest of questions and you just cannot come up with the answer. Yeah, that was me on Friday afternoon, right? I'm not entirely sure how we made it from Ohio back to our house. And it just, you're struggling to mentally grasp or to think or to comprehend. So I needed rest. And God wants us to always be able to focus and to grab hold and to understand and to comprehend. 
So he talks about the need for rest. But this morning, I want us to switch gears just a little bit and not focus so much on this physical rest that God says that we need, but on the spiritual rest that he promises. You know, in a lot of ways, this passage in Hebrews chapter 4 that we're going to be studying from this morning reminds me a lot of John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, when Jesus comes up against the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, and, and they get into a conversation about water. And, and that's how it is that Jesus triggers that spiritual conversation. It is there about drinking water. And, and he, he's there, he's thirsty, he wants a drink, he gets a drink. But then he makes mention to that woman. Do you remember? Oh, do you have any interest on the water that you can drink in which you would never thirst again? She was really interested in that. And then he goes on to tell her, it's Jesus, that's, that's what I can provide. Well, for us, I want to ask the same question. Would you be interested in the kind of rest, the kind of rest that God promises in which exhaustion would never follow again? You know, I want you to think about just for me this week. We got back from camp Friday afternoon. I crawled in bed Friday evening about 9.45. Kind of tossed around, tossed around a little bit. I did a little bit of reading, fell asleep, woke up a little bit, fell asleep. I got up on Saturday morning about 9.30. So I was in bed a long time, and I got a lot of rest. And I woke up Saturday morning and felt really good. And felt great and, and got up that morning. We did some things. We went to some places. And, and about 3 o'clock wasn't feeling as good. I was really tired again. I had gotten a lot of rest, but I was still tired the next day. That's why we need rest every night. And then we get tired and we need more rest. And we get tired and we need more rest. But what if rest could come in which exhaustion and tiredness never would follow? That's what Jesus talked about in John 4. That's what God talks about here in Hebrews chapter 4. It is a rest that is God's rest. It's a rest that we should be striving to get. I want to read beginning in Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. We're going to point out just a few things along the way that I hope will inspire you this morning to be diligent to strive to enter this rest. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Let's all read together. It says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. 
again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today after such a long time as it had been said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, and then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. But there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. Now here in this context, there are a lot of things that are happening. Really in this section of the book of Hebrews, there is much discussion specifically about Moses specifically about the people and their wanderings in the wilderness. And the reality that happens and the point that's made is despite Moses' leadership, despite his leadership, the people there, they didn't enter into the promised land. And they didn't enter into the promised land because specifically of their lack of faith. And so now the Hebrew writer is making the point. Now as we are here as Christians, that we are under Christ's leadership, but yet we still face a similar danger of falling short of our promise again through a lack of faith. I want you to think just in the chapter before. In Hebrews chapter 3, look at what he says in verse 14. He says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then again in verse 1 of chapter 4 that we read, that there is a promise remains or entering his rest. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. This encouragement to not come short shows us that there's a danger that we can. Moses was an incredible leader of God's people. And he led with an incredible relationship with God. And he communicated exactly what God wanted him to communicate to the people. But they didn't listen. They didn't listen. And all of those incredible promises that that was there right in front of them, they didn't get any of them because they didn't listen. Because they didn't have faith. So for us, everything is out in front of us. Christ's leadership. The promise of eternal rest. But at the same time, there will be some who just won't listen. Who won't follow. Who won't strive to enter into that rest that remains. And so what is it, the rest that remains? What is it specifically that's being talked about? Well, it isn't Canaan rest or the Sabbath rest. Chapter 4 and verse 8 clearly differentiates that from what Joshua provides and now what God is making mention of. In the Sabbath, and the Sabbath keeping that we talked about in Deuteronomy chapter 5, by this time as Christ has been crucified on the cross, as well as the old law being done away with, you have a very similar argument that can be made both about Joshua and about Moses. And throughout this context, 
It isn't Moses. It isn't Joshua that's talking about rest. It is God. It is his rest. Or he'll use the phrase, my rest, over and over and over in this context. In chapter 3, as we just read already, in verse 11, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Verse 18, for who having heard rebelled in Egypt, or no, that's 16, 18, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey. Chapter 4 and verse 1, since a promise remains of entering his rest. Again in verse 3, for we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He reiterates that in verse 5. They shall not enter my rest over and over and over. This is God's rest. It is the rest that he offers. And the point that's being made is we have to be diligent or we're going to come short of it. You know, diligence in a lot of ways is a really interesting word. This text begins and ends with this idea. We read it already in verse 1. Let let us fear lest any of us are going to come short of it. And then in verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. And so the idea is the very beginning and the very end of this context. I think in a lot of ways, I can turn back one page in my Bible, and maybe you can do the same to Hebrews chapter 2, where you see the very opposite of diligence. To me, the Hebrew writer paints the picture in Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3, the very opposite of diligence is drifting away. In chapter 2 and verse 1, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? This idea, this picture of the Christian who drifts away, The opposite of that is diligence. By definition, strenuous effort. We understand what effort is. Everybody does. Everybody understands what effort is. And I want us to understand when we see the word diligent or diligence used in Scripture, it's not just effort. It is all-out effort. It's not just effort, it is strenuous effort. And God says, if you, if you want to make sure that you're not going to miss the rest that I have promised, if you want to make sure that you're not going to be the Christian that drifts away, guess what? You don't have to be going backwards to drift away. You just have to stop strenuously efforting. That's it. When you stop putting in that effort, that all-out effort for God, you will drift away. And that's what makes those two, that's why it makes those two things opposite things. And so if you are not all out for God, you are Hebrews chapter 2 drifting away. 
There is nothing in the middle. And we love, love, love to find ourselves some comfort in the middle. We do that at school all the time. We've got a class that's all out in front of us. And I mean, I can go all out for an A or I can coast and smooth see that class, right? Am I the only one that's gone for the smooth see, right? That's the difference between Kim and I in college. Kim was all effort because she wanted the C or the A, excuse me, and I was, she never got any C's. You can ask, she didn't live in the C world. But what was my attitude? Little to no effort for that smooth C or surprising D at times, right? Sometimes we do Christianity that way. That smooth sea sounds just fine to me. That's not what the book of Hebrews teaches. It is all out effort. Or it is drifting away. Now we don't want to be the drifting away because that sounds bad, right? I mean a smooth sea, I even said it in a way that sounds cool, right? I mean, now unfortunately maybe I've got kids here that are going to go home and tell their parents, smooth sea, that sounds great. No, smooth seas are bad. But drifting away, that really sounds bad. You're one or the other. And Hebrews chapter 4 is pushing us and, and, and pressing us to be diligent to enter into that rest. Because once that rest is grabbed, then and only then we can cease from work. He made mention of in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 10 that we read, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. It is that eternal rest that we're talking about. It's what we'll be talking about in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 14 and verse 13, we get this passage. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works that follow them. Am I the only one here this morning who thinks that sounds fantastic? We live in a wicked world. And it is mentally and physically exhausting to be righteous. But God says you give that all out effort. And you will enter a rest in which you can lay all of that aside. Am I the only one that thinks that sounds fantastic? Well, as we close, I want to point out just a couple other things. This text not also just talks about what this rest is all about. It tells us how to get it, how to grab hold of it. And there are three things mentioned specifically in this text that helps us to understand what is needed. How is it that I can get this rest? And the first is pointing directly to God's word. In chapter 4 and verse 2, you have, For indeed the gospel was preached to us, as well as to them. 
This word, the word, God's word, we, we've got to have it. We've got to know it. The gospel that was proclaimed to the Israelites pertains specifically to the promises made about Canaan. And we have a gospel proclaiming to us references to the promises that are there in Christ. God's word is essential to enter into his rest. It's essential really in basic ways. Without it, we would never even know that this rest is reality. And without it, we would never know how to receive it. It is an essential piece of the puzzle. It is an essential piece that we have to have. And so we've got to have it. We've got to read it. We've got to study it. We've got to be all about it. We've got to be diligent in it. But that verse tells us that not just that, it's got to be mixed with faith. What an incredible phrase that is. Really interesting wording that we have here in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. The idea at the very beginning of that, indeed the gospel was preached to us as, as well as to them, but the word which they heard didn't profit them. Talking about the Israelites coming up upon the threshold of Canaan. They had all of the proclamations, they had all of the references, they had all of the promises, but it didn't do them any good. It didn't do them any good. And today, guess what? We have everything that we need, all of the promises, all of the words, all of the direction. We have everything we need. And for most of people, it will not be good enough. Why? Well, you have that really interesting phrase. It says there at the end that it did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. What a great phrase that is. God's word mixed with faith. The word alone from God didn't do anything for the Israelites because they didn't believe it. Even as powerful as God's word is, And we didn't read all the way down, but in this same context, we stopped at verse 11. The very next verse talks about the power that is in God's word. The word of God is living and powerful. But even with all the power in God's word, without faith, its power will be hindered. And so for the Israelites, with all the power in God's word, it didn't do them any good because they didn't believe it. And the same will be for us. All the power that is shown inside of God's word will just be hindered by those who don't believe it. And so you've got to have God's word. It must be mixed with faith. And you have to have fear and diligence. Verse 1, fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. That reverence for God, an understanding of who He is and what He's all about and believing in what He says. And diligence. 
that strenuous effort. Just a few pages to the right in your Bible, a really interesting passage. We don't spend a whole lot of time because we like the middle of it. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, in that great visual picture of growth and, and maturation for the Christian, they add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge. It is just, it's an incredible word picture, whether it's building blocks or whatever and however you want to picture it. It is a picture of building something up, right? But think about how it begins and how it ends. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, at the very outset, for this very reason, giving what? All diligence. Those are two pretty easy words. But when you put those two words together, it almost becomes difficult to comprehend what that is. Because diligence is already all-out effort. It's already strenuous effort. And so he says, you give all diligence. And then he even follows it up with an even harder-to-comprehend statement. In verse 10, after he lists all of these things that we need to be diligent about adding to our faith, he says in verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. I mean, what is that? I mean, (laughs) diligence is all-out effort. Diligence is strenuous effort. And God says, what I need is even more diligence. What that tells me is we cannot miss the idea that when it comes to our Christianity, it is all out, all the time. And yes, it will be exhausting. But there is a rest that is coming. Physical rest is nice. It's important to seek out. It is important to obtain. But it is, as we've read in Hebrews chapter 4, the rest that remains that we should all be pointed toward and diligently pressing for to the point of mental and spiritual and emotional exhaustion. When we're standing, panting before God, He allows us to enter into that place. Our works can cease. Never to tire of you. Rest for eternity. What a beautiful picture that is. But yet the reality of Hebrews chapter 4, even though it paints a beautiful picture about this rest that is promised to us, the reality of Hebrews chapter 4 is a warning. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 is. It tells us what the rest is. It tells us how wonderful it is. It tells us that it is God's rest, but Hebrews chapter 4 is a warning. It's a warning to any of those who fall short. So what do you do with warnings? Hebrews chapter 4 is blaring on 
warning siren so loud that I encourage you this morning to listen, to pay close attention, to make sure that I'm not going to be one of the ones swept up and drifting away, but I'm going to be the ones diligent enough to enter into his presence. Brad is going to lead us in the song of invitation, and it gives us a good opportunity for us, each and every one of us, to think about that. Which camp am I in? Drifting away or diligently pressing? And if you're in the camp of drifting away, I'm going to encourage you in this moment to do something about that. <coughs> to refocus yourself. To make sure your relationship with God is what it needs to be. And maybe we can help with that in some way this morning. If we can, in any way, you let us know as we stand.